a lot about faith and justification. We've been thinking a lot about where works and and our behavior uh, come into play, or specifically where they don't come into play in our justification. But we don't want to give the impression that behavior or our obedience to God and to his word, to his law, is unimportant. And so we're going to look at a passage today that that in some cases causes some confusion, but hopefully by looking at it we'll clear away that confusion very quickly and come away with a, a good understanding of the place of works in the Christian's life and the importance of it. And to do that, we're going to read the book, uh, James chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 14. We'll read through the end of the chapter. So James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, follow along, and after we read this, we'll want to leave, keep our Bibles out as we walk through this passage. This is God's word. Let us give heed to it this morning, congregation. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We pray that you would bless it in our hearing. We pray that you would bless the preaching of your word today. We pray that you would, by your spirit, teach us what you have for us Uh, Through this passage, we pray that you would bless he who preaches and we who hear, Father, that we may hear to our benefit. And we ask this all in Jesus' most wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated. So as I said, this is a difficult passage in the sense that for some people, uh, this has become a very problematic passage. But it's a very important passage. Discerning, uh, evaluating this whole idea of the place of works, the importance of works, the necessity of works in the Christian's life is one of the most important things that we can do because it is so easily and so often misunderstood. And to misunderstand it, and therefore to place your trust incorrectly in regard to works, is something that is 
absolutely fatal spiritually. And apparently, many in James' day were having trouble with this. They were getting it wrong. And we should understand that many in in the church today are getting it wrong. They are missing Christians, professing Christians, missing the correct place of works in the Christian's life. And of course, by works, I'm referring to, as the Bible does, our actions, our conduct, how we conduct ourselves, what we do. Specifically, good works refers to the deeds that are done in accordance with and in obedience to God's law, doing what he commands. We've come across it already a couple of times in our service this morning. We're to do God's commands concerning what we are to do and what we are to to believe. They're given to us. God's law is throughout the Bible, specifically, of course, in the Ten Commandments, in the teaching of Christ and the Apostles. Summarized in those two great commandments that we love God and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And as I mentioned, we read various uh, expressions of God's law every week almost. From the Old Testament, from the New Testament. And when the Bible talks about works, that's what it's talking about. That's what it means. So when Paul speaks, and he does quite often, of works of the law... Or when James speaks here, uh, more typically just of works, they mean basically the same thing as far as what type of behavior we're talking about. The Heidelberg Catechism helpfully tells us that a good work is something that is done uh, according to God's word, that's in line with God's word, uh, that's done um, prompted by the Holy Spirit and something that is done for the glory of God. That's the definition they give for a good work. And the moral law, God's moral law, given to us, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, is what shows us what are good works and what they mean. And so if we come back then to the original statement that understanding the place of those works is so critical for us, we can say, well, here's why it is so important for us to understand. Because there are two ways that we can go off the rails in regard to thinking about how works come into play in our lives. The first thing that we can do is that we can add those works to faith in an improper way and thereby change the gospel into something that is no longer the gospel but is law by saying you have to believe in Christ and do these other things in order to be saved. That's just moralism. But on the other hand, we can err by subtracting those works from true faith in a way that changes our understanding of faith into something that's not true faith. And so it's important to understand where those works fit in. Now, as I mentioned, and as you probably knew even before this, this portion of James' epistle that we read this morning uh, is controversial to some. Even Martin Luther had a problem with with the book of James because largely of this passage. And it's because of the fact that some have said that James is saying something that directly contradicts the Apostle Paul in the sections of his epistles, especially 
of the books of Romans and Galatians, where Paul treats the idea of the place of works in regard to our standing before God, in regard to our justification. Now, we spent a whole message last Sunday talking about justification and how justification comes about, what it is, and where works fit into it, and we know the answer to that is not at all. We'll review that in just a a moment. But listen to these two statements, one from Paul, one from James, that sort of crystallizes the problems that some people have, Christians very often, have with this statement of James. Paul says in Romans 3.28 this, He says, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. But James says here, he says in in James 2.24, a little later than what we're, uh, or at the end of what we read this morning, he says this, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And then to sort of compound that here, Paul, in his discussion, where he's saying that we're justified by faith apart from works, Paul brings us an example, Abraham, as an example of someone who was counted righteous before God on the basis of faith alone. He brings Abraham out as exhibit A. But now, here James will quote the exact same verse and come to this conclusion. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And many people say, well, there you have it. There's a contradiction in the Bible. James is flatly contradicting what Paul says. Well, let me first put your minds at ease here that there is no contradiction here. But what is here is a lesson in the necessity of grasping the context of a passage and understanding a a context and reading carefully. We, very often, especially as Reformed Christians, I think, we, we love Paul, and we should love Paul, and his writings, and, and the great doctrine of justification by faith alone, and we sort of live there. And so we maybe don't think about James as much, and so when we see this, we can be shocked by this. And say, well, what is, what is going on here? How is this not a contradiction? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. And I'll spend the bulk of our time here on what James has to say, but I think that we should take just a a moment to clear away this confusion between James and Paul, or rather between some interpreters of James and Paul, because there is no confusion really between James and Paul. But so we're going to look at justification, faith, and works in Paul very briefly. We just looked at it last week, but we'll review. And then we'll look at justification, faith, and works in James and see what he's saying. So first, in Paul. So let me remind you what Paul has said about justification, about faith, and about works. And again, we just talked about this last Sunday, whole message. If you haven't heard it, if you weren't here, it might be good to go online and watch it or or listen to it. But since we did that just last week, we just need to review it briefly here. Uh, Romans 3 was our passage last week. And we saw that up until Romans 3 in the first part of the book that Paul was was pounding and pounding home one main point and that is that all men are under sin, that all men are guilty before God. All men are liable to the judgment of God because they are sinners, because they are not righteous. And there is no one righteous, he said. 
Then in verses 21 through 31, that's what we looked at last week, Paul lays out the doctrine of what he calls justification. And remember what that is. Justification is an act of God by which God pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight and that's grounded in the righteousness of Christ credited to us and received, here's the critical part, received by faith alone. Sola fide, by faith alone. Faith and nothing else. And the message and this is really the core message of the gospel itself, is that God grants righteousness to the person that he justifies. He grants a righteousness while at the same time forgiving all of our unrighteousness in Christ by punishing them in Christ. And the righteousness that he grants us is not our own righteousness, not righteousness that we've provided, but righteousness, the righteousness that he grants is the righteousness of Christ himself. So God forgives your sins, he grants Christ's righteousness to you, and then steps back and says, it is good. It is perfect, literally perfect. Christ's perfect righteousness to you, Christian. And no sin, your sin paid for by Christ, all of it. That's how God sees the justified sinner. So then, as we saw last week, The question is then, how do we become justified? How do we obtain this great, wonderful gift of God? How do we we get it? And here's where it gets interesting in in accordance with our passage this morning. Because, of course, we gain it, we obtain it through faith. Through faith alone. Again, let me read just, uh, you don't have to turn here. I'll just read from what we looked at last week. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God justifies, God declares us righteous on the basis of his grace, on the basis of his mercy. Verse 24 says that we're justified by his grace as a gift on the ground of the righteousness of Christ, on the ground of the work of Christ and of that work credited to us, verse 24, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, through the instrument of faith. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And down in verse 30, he says, Since God is the one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. And, and here's the important part, and apart from works. Verse 20 says, By the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Verse 27 says, We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. 
And if we look over into the next chapter, in, verse, in chapter 4, listen to this. He says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? So here's exhibit A, as I mentioned. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So here is justification, faith, and works in Paul's emphasis. As Paul is is focusing in his writings that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Works do not enter into our receiving justification at all. If you walked away from anything else last week, You probably walked away with that, that our works do not enter into our receiving of justification. Listen to the shorter catechism. Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteousness in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. One more. He says the same thing in the book of Galatians. We know, Paul says, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul is pretty clear on this, isn't he? As far as what what works or how works figure into our justification, they don't. Our works do not figure in at all. But now, James comes along, and he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And James says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 20, he says, Faith apart from works is useless. And he says in verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So what is going on? Is this a problem? It is not a problem. In fact, it is a teaching that enriches our understanding of justification. It helps us. It shouldn't confuse us. What's going on, though? The answer is context. The answer is what the two authors are talking about. Here's the the simple answer to this sort of naughty question. Paul is concerned. He wants to make sure that we do not try to add anything to faith in regard to obtaining our right standing before God. James is wanting to make sure that we understand the nature of the faith that receives justification. And both of those are important. 
Because the, the errors that Paul and James are guarding against are the very errors that we still see today. So let's look at what James is saying. I think we're pretty clear on what Paul is saying. Let's see what James is saying. See him talk about justification, faith, and works in James. Now, in this passage that we're looking at this morning, we can pretty simply divide the passage in half. The first part speaks of the fact that a lack of works demonstrates a deficient faith. In verses 14 through 19, Paul speaks about a kind of faith that is not the faith that saves, not the faith that receives justification, not the kind of faith that that Paul is referring to when he says that we're saved by faith alone. And then part two, the second half, uh, talks about the presence of works and how they demonstrate true faith. So you've got it negatively and you get it positively. In verse 14 of James 2, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So there's two questions in that verse. What good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And then the second one, following on to that, can that faith save him? And the form of the question in the original, in the Greek, um, assumes a negative answer. The answer is no. And what we need to learn right off the bat here is that, apparently, James is saying that there is a kind of faith that can and does save, and there is a kind of faith that doesn't. Now, notice in verse 14 something. James does not say, what good is it if someone has faith but does not have works? He doesn't say that, does he? He says, what good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? See, James' whole straightforward point here is that if someone's life does not demonstrate works, then what he says about his faith is irrelevant. But his fruitless life, James is saying, is evidence that he does not have true faith. He does not have saving faith. He does not have justifying faith. And so his question with the expected negative response, can that faith or that kind of faith save him, gets a no answer as well. And that is because the faith which embraces Christ, the faith which receives the grace of justification and thereby brings you into a state of of being. It brings you into a situation that will and must result in fruit being born in your life. The fruit of good works. That's part of that faith. It's the result of that faith. In fact, Ephesians 2 At the end of that passage, Paul says after he talks about how we are dead in trespasses and sin, but how how God has saved us because he's rich in mercy, that he saved us, uh, that we've been saved by grace through faith alone, not as a result of works. 
He goes on at the end and says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. For good works. Not by good works. For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what what James is wanting to point out and the sad thing, beloved, is that there are a great number of people who have the kind of faith that James is talking about and warning about which he says cannot save. And some have looked at Paul's clear and strong and correct condemnation of adding works to faith and say that that's that's exactly what James is doing. But he's not. And I think this is the key to understanding this. James is not describing a a lonely faith. He's describing a defective faith, a false faith, a faith that is defective and shows itself to be defective. It can be recognized as being defective because of the very fact that it doesn't produce the fruit of works that true faith always produces. A faith that, whatever it may be called, is not saving faith. And James then goes on and describes through what describes this through what is basically a parable. He describes that faith that he says cannot save. So his example in verse 15, his little parable here says, "If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, "Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that?" You know of this one, perhaps they've even approached you for help, and you say to them, brother, I'll pray for you. I, you presented this great need, need for very basic things, and, and I'll pray for you about it. Be warmed, be filled, and, and you go on your way. But you don't do anything to alleviate their hunger and provide some clothes. Now, that's a parable. This is an, an illustration here. And he asked the question, what good would that be? What good is it to the person in the dire situation? This person, he's not neglecting the importance of prayer, but again, very practically, what good is it if you don't help them, if you don't put feet to your prayer, as they say, and you send them away and don't help them? And more importantly, I think, is saying, what good is it to profess then, this is what it's illustrating, what good is it to profess to have faith and then fail to show that faith through showing love to your brother or sister? And then he sort of drives in the nail in verse 17. He says, so also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So it's an illustration here of the concept that faith is not real faith if it does not produce the fruit of real faith. And that is good works. If they're not growing out of it, if they're not accompanying it, if they're not resulting from it. So here's what is going on. James is saying that just as spoken concern without actions prove that the concern is not really genuine. That's the parable part. So spoken faith without the actions that accompany faith prove that the faith is not genuine. 
And so James concludes in verse 17 that faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith that does not show itself to be true faith is not real faith. And how does real faith show itself to be real faith? By resulting in good works. If it does not have works, he says, it is dead. It is a dead faith. It is not a living faith. It is not a saving faith, but merely a spoken faith. Like saying, be warmed and filled to someone in need. Now, then in verse 18, James turns to another common means of instruction in the New Testament. We run into it with Paul all the time. This idea of bringing in an imaginary opponent who says something and then he responds to it. Here's the gist of it. He says, but someone will say, in verse 18, and that's the imaginary objector, and the objection is this. He says, you have faith and I have works. Basically, the objection is that the faith and works are two sort of uh, separate and, and separable items, things. Some may have one, some may have the other. And James' response then comes in verse 19. Uh, he says, beginning in verse, the middle of verse 18, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Stop there for just a second. So there are two possible ways of demonstrating who has faith. And, and perhaps it originated in Missouri, the show me state, because this is the show me method of proving the genuineness of faith. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. One is legitimate, one is not. You cannot show your faith apart from works. All you can say is, I have it, which is what he said earlier. If a man says he has faith, but there are no works coming from it, can that faith save? Because good works flow from a redeemed heart. Good works come from one who has been justified by God, who has been brought into a right relationship with God. Part of the essence of being a Christian is performing good works, performing those things, doing those things that God's word tells you to do. Jesus said that you would recognize his disciples by their fruit. Not by their profession, but by their fruit. So without good works to demonstrate, to validate one's faith, all you have is one's profession. And James is saying, in, in the way that he is talking, in the, the area in which he is discussing, that that's not enough. Anybody can say it. So James then gives another example, a very powerful one here, verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one. You do well. But even the demons believe, he says. And they shudder. The most basic confession of, of belief in God is that God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And James is saying, well, that's good, if you say you believe that, 
But again, that's not proof of believing that. It's simply what we would call historical faith. You know, in the Bible, the Bible talks about different types of faith. There's historical faith, basically, which believes that, that the, what is written in the Bible is true, historical. Uh, there's miraculous faith, the faith that, that believes that a miracle will be done for them. There's temporary faith. Jesus tells the parable of the sower and talks about those who have a temporary type of faith. Well, that's all true. So again, it's, it's not true, it's not necessarily true belief to say, I believe in God. It's just historical faith because the Bible says that God is and you say, yes, I believe that. He says the demons believe that. And yeah, we know they do. They're very clear on that, aren't they? James is responding here to the objector who wants to just have faith, but not a faith that has any results. A faith that doesn't issue or doesn't result in works. But he's saying you can't do that. That's not real faith. That's what he's saying. You've made a profession, and that's good, but even the demons believe. Even the demons shudder. They tremble. They know who God is. Their theology is is more sure than yours. And they believe who he is. They shudder. Remember, we've been seeing in Mark how Jesus uh, casts demons out of people, and and these men that are demon-possessed run up to Jesus, and they fall down, and they say, I know who you are, most high God. Why have you come? To torment me? They know, but it does them no good because they don't trust Christ. And in the same way, a person who says they have faith but don't show the outworking of that faith, which must come, James is saying that, work, or that faith is not real faith because saving faith produces Saved actions. Saving faith produces good works. So it's a powerful rebuke here to his imaginary opponent and anyone sitting here today who thinks that works are of no importance in the Christian life. There's a whole, there was a whole movement, and it's still around today, that says that you can be saved but not have any works at all. We call them antinomians today, but they're still around. Now, in verses 20 through 26, James turns and gives us a couple of examples of this. And the two examples could not be more different. In verses 21 to 24, the example is Abraham. The one that Paul brought forward is the greatest example. And then in verse 25, the example is Rahab the prostitute. How, how different are those? You know, Abraham, well, Abraham's a man. Rahab's a woman. Abraham was of the people of God, a Jew. Rahab was a pagan, a Canaanite. Abraham is the, the epitome of the follower of Yahweh. Rahab was a prostitute. Abraham had a long record, though not a perfect record, in, in faithful living before God, Rahab, she merely one time hit a group of spies so they wouldn't be caught. Abraham was faithful to the promise of God. 
Rahab was faithful to a promise that she made to some men. So, so James' choices here really show that what is true for the greatest is true for the least. And it's true for us today. And what is that? Well, look at verses 21 through 24. He says, Was not Abraham, the first example, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. Look at that. Faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. James opens the scripture for his imaginary opponent to Genesis 22 where Abraham having received in his old age the son of promise is told by God now I want you to take that son the answer to your prayers, the, the, the fulfillment of my promise to you, I want you to take him and sacrifice him on a mountain. And you know the story. Abraham obeys because of his faith in God. Hebrews eleven nineteen says that he considered, that as Abraham considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, to raise Isaac from the dead. And so he binds Isaac, he places him on the altar, and as he raises his hand and prepares to bring down the the knife, the angel stops him and says, Stop, Abraham. He says, Now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you fear God, he says. This is the epitome of proving that his faith in God is true. So how was Abraham justified by works in this? The angel says, Now I know that you fear God. Now, Abraham certainly trusted God savingly back in Genesis 15 when he believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And it's not that that somehow God forgot the truth of Abraham's faith or the the, uh, fullness of Abraham's faith up until now. But now, with his actions, (coughs) with his obedience to God's command... That faith has now been vindicated. Keep that word in your mind. (coughs) It has now been demonstrated as real faith, as true faith, by this incident with Isaac, which filled up or completed his faith by showing it to be true. (coughs) The faith and right standing that he gained before God, apart from works, is shown to be true. (coughs) by his obedience. And so James says that Abraham was justified in the sense of being vindicated. His faith was shown to be true. That's the other, um, that's what the word vindicated means. What God had declared so many years ago, he now saw borne out. <coughs> Pardon me. So when James says here that Abraham was justified by works, he's not talking about Abraham receiving justification by works. He's showing that his faith was true by the works that he did that flowed from a justified heart that had been justified apart from works. So he's not talking about, James is not talking about the receiving of justifying faith. 
He's talking about the nature of justifying faith. If you want to see the difference between Paul and James, that's it. Paul is talking about the receiving of justifying faith, and works don't play any part in that. But James is talking about (coughs) the nature of justifying faith. And the nature of justifying faith is that faith produces works from a heart that has been redeemed. Works according to the scriptures at the motivation of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God. That's the difference. And the same is true of Rahab. Rahab and Joshua too hid the spies, asked them for protection, helped them escape, was spared from death and became the great great grandmother of David. The writer of Hebrews says that she, like Abraham, though so different from Abraham, performed these deeds out of faith. And as James says, by those deeds demonstrated that her faith was true faith. So again, and here's the point to take away from these. Faith, true faith, saving faith, justifying faith, and works always go together. The, fr- the works are the fruit of that faith. The one is shown by the other. Whoever keeps his word, John said in 1 John 2, 5, whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. James 2.22 says that her faith was perfected. And that's what he says in verse 24, which is the crux of this whole passage. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. He's saying you see that this person is justified, is shown to have a true justifying faith that was given to them by faith alone, without works, in the past. Now that is shown to be true, saving, justifying faith by the fact that it produces works. And in this way, our faith is shown to be real. The picture of our faith is completed by the production of deeds that demonstrate and prove it. And we don't do those works on our own. That's a whole other message. But let us be sure that we do good works, not because we can just do good works on our own, but because the Holy Spirit is working in us to do good works. Verse 26 says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So here's the question for each of us this morning. How is your faith? Is it just a faith that's spoken faith? Is it just a faith that you tell people that you have? Is it a be warmed and filled kind of faith? Or is it a faith that you show by your works? Is it a faith like the demons have that that gets it, though it never really gets them? Or is it a faith like Abraham and Rahab and James and Paul? There's no contradiction between Paul's speaking of justification and the place of works in justification and James' understanding and discussion of justification and the place of works. 
Do you see good works being produced in your life? Is your faith working through love, as Paul says? Do you love the brethren? Are you putting to death the deeds of the body through the enabling of the Holy Spirit? Are you putting on righteousness? Are you, through the means of grace that God gives to you, growing in faith, increasing in good works? Is your life marked by an ever-increasing presence of the fruit of the Spirit? See, and here's the thing. When we think about good works, we very often try to go out and look at the things that we've done. But the Bible talks about the fruit of of a a Christian's life, the works that he does, is, is the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in us. And what are those? This is this is where we look to see if we are showing the works of a true saving faith. What are they? Love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruits that a justified person produces. Because it's the work, it's the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in us. It's part of that work that he has begun in us and he will complete. But he is producing it. If there is no fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, you need to think about whether your faith is truly faith in Christ. Now that doesn't mean you won't sin. That doesn't mean that you're going to be the greatest fruit producer in the world. But if you're not seeing any fruit of the Spirit being manifested in your life, test yourself, as John said, to see if you be in the faith. One of the statements that came out of the Reformation was this. We are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. And that's what Paul is saying. That's what James is saying. The true faith, justifying faith, never comes a la carte, but is part of a a blessed banquet from the Lord that is full of fruit and ever-increasing. Don't trust in your works to save you. They will not. They cannot. But look for good works as evidence that you have been saved. And when you see them, Don't thank yourself. Thank God. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you, Lord, for this time. Uh, We thank you for your word. And we pray that you would drive these truths home. We pray that everyone here that is trusted in Christ is truly trusted in Christ. We pray that you would help us to see Uh, your spirit's work in us. We pray that you would help us to, to see that fruit in our lives, that we would pursue the things that you have given to us to do, that we would ever and always look to you, O God. 
And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.